Welcome to the Giants Talk Podcast. Here's Alex Pavlovich and Cole Kuyper. I know those guys. Hey everybody, welcome to Giants Talk. Today's episode is a little bit different because Cole and I are on assignment. It's the All-Star break, so a good time to take a little bit of a break for us as well. Um, shout out to the Giants Talk listeners that I've met the last couple days. I actually have met a few of them on vacation, uh, especially the ones who have given me food recommendations. You guys truly know the way to my heart. That is the way to Cole's heart as well. Speaking of food, this podcast, as always, is brought to you by Wendy's. Right now, do breakfast better. Wake up to oven-baked bacon and savory sausage in a breakfast baconator. Start looking forward to tomorrow morning at participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours only. Okay, so today's podcast is a little bit different, as I mentioned. It's a mid-season interview with Gabe Kapler. I talked to Gabe last Wednesday. We talked about position players pitching the night before two of them had pitched. Um, The disappointing first half, it was disappointing overall. Why he never gets ejected, the terrible Giants defense, and his two All-Stars. And then after we talked, everything kind of turned around. So obviously a very good series over the weekend against Milwaukee, a team that is likely going to be in the postseason, highlighted by the Mike Yastrzemski Grand Slam. You'd think after all this time I would know how to say it. That's why we just call him Yaz. But a huge night for the Giants, a huge weekend for the Giants. Seems like they finally grabbed some momentum, which is what Brandon Belt talked about you know, early on in the week, he said, I do believe in momentum. We can grab some. We can take it into the break, come out of it, and, and play better baseball in the second half. So, you know, obviously the Giants did that over the weekend. Before we get to Gabe, though, a couple news items to touch on. The Giants did have the 30th pick in the draft on Sunday night. That's the result of, of being really good last year. You win 107 games, you pick last in the draft. But seems like they did pretty well, at least in terms of targeting upside. They took Reggie Crawford. He is a two-way player out of UConn. He hits 100 miles per hour on the mound. He has big power at the plate. Uh, Crawford spoke to reporters on Sunday, and he did say that the Giants plan on using him as a two-way player. So obviously, very intriguing. He has had Tommy John, which is part of the reason that he was available in number 30. But it's going to be interesting to see what the Giants do. Casey Schmidt was a two-way player as well when they drafted him a couple years ago, and and they decided they're going to just put him at third base, not mess with it, see what happens. Uh, and he's a pretty good prospect now. He's one of the better prospects and um, somebody who's had a very good start to the year. And, and that athleticism that he showed on the mound, he's showing at third base. He's getting Matt Chapman comps. So we will see what they do with Crawford. But obviously a, a very, very intriguing pick. Uh, there are some stories on our website right now from Taylor Worth, one of my coworkers, about Crawford and what he had to say. So if you want more on him, go check those out. And then obviously, Juan Soto was the big story of the last week. Will be the big story for the next two weeks. If he's not traded before August 2nd, he will be the big story all offseason. He turned down a lot of money from the Nationals and is potentially available, possibly available. That's what they're saying. Um, we'll see what happens. We will see what happens. It's, it's obviously going to be a story that we follow here. It is something Cole and I will talk about next week and something we will talk about going up to the trade deadline. We'll see what happens with him. I, I will say just kind of initial thoughts on it. The Giants have the farm system to be involved. I mean, that's part of the reason you build it up. The flip side of that is that they don't really have the high-end talent that some other teams do. They do have two guys in the top 30 in Luciano and Harrison, but they don't have four or five guys in the top 100 as, as a lot of teams that might be in on Soto do. So if, if you're talking about that kind of trade, you are probably talking 
about trading Marco Luciano and trading Kyle Harrison. And so that's just kind of where you start most likely. So I would kind of wrap your heads around that as you start to think about what it would take to get Juan Soto in orange and black and, and whether you would pay that price. And, and the other thing is they don't really have the young big league talent that some other teams might be able to offer. You know, if you look down in Los Angeles, for instance, I'm not saying this is likely, but uh, Gavin Lux, Will Smith, guys like that who are younger, established. The Giants obviously have Logan Webb, but you probably don't want him to trade Logan Webb. So, um, yeah, a lot of complicated things go into this. The one thing the Giants do have going for them is not a lot of salary commitments going forward. And, and so if this becomes a case where, you know, Patrick Corbin's contract is potentially attached to Juan Soto, they can take that on easier than most teams can and, and not have to worry about it. So maybe that helps them a little bit, but we will talk about all of that down the line. For now, I would just say that's, you know, not something that's likely to happen anytime soon. I Personally, I think that's probably more of an off-season trade, but might be a trade that gets done before August 2nd. But remember the biggest deals, and this would be the biggest one in trade deadline history, tend to happen, you know, right before the deadline or the hours before or the day before. So the deadline's August 2nd this year. We have some time until that gets here. And, and uh, before that gets here, the Giants have the All-Star break. They also open next week at Dodger Stadium. We will be back on Thursday with our first half awards. Um, the best of the first half for the Giants. There wasn't always good stuff, but there was some interesting stuff, especially the way they finished off. And, um, you know, it's been a long year, and I think people forgot some of the stuff that happened maybe in April and May. So Cole and I will touch on that. And uh, then we'll be back on Sunday with normal podcasts all the way through the end of the season, however long it goes. Before I go, I do want to give a quick shout-out to our other sponsor, Togo's. Togo's is introducing the new pastrami cheesesteak to their tasty cheesesteak lineup featuring a quarter pound of hot pastrami, sauteed mushrooms, roasted red peppers, smothered with melted American cheese, only at Togo's. That feels like a sandwich for the all-star break. Something you guys should do in the next three days. For now, here's Gabe Kapoor. Win cool cash at Creighton in the up to $500,000 Beat the Heat slot tournaments. Thursdays now through August. Win up to $15,000 cash with 50 winners at each tournament guaranteed. Only at Creighton Resort and Casino. Honda is your gateway to spring adventure. Thousands of new Civics, Accords, SUVs, and more are arriving daily. So come in and buy or reserve yours today. For details, ask anyone who owns a Honda or visit NorCalHondaDealers.com. All right, Gabe Kapoor, it is the midway point of the season, a little bit past the midway point, up and down first half for you, a lot of downs recently but I, I want to take you since we're talking on Wednesday morning to last night's game we saw two position players on the mound to end the game and I know you've explained why it, it is important for you guys to save those bullets for relievers at times but I'm curious where do you think this is going in theory you could do that for two three innings you could use multiple guys what's it going to look like in five years because it's changed so much in the last year so years ago uh, the sentiment was that the reason that you don't put a position player on the mound is because you're concerned that that position player is going to get hurt. And I talked about this several years ago, but if you go back into history, I'm sure it has happened. I'm sure it could happen, but it's not something that you'd expect. So if you kind of follow the win expectancy of a game, you know that if you're down seven or eight runs, the likelihood of you coming back and winning that game, um, slim, uh, close, closer to none than, than a real chance. 
And so it does make sense to use position players probably a little bit earlier in games. One of the reasons that you don't is because you don't want to signal to anybody, and for good reason, that you're giving up. But if you think about sort of the war of attrition, and you think about winning series, and you think about winning the season, rather than winning one game in isolation, it does make a lot of sense for position players to pitch, particularly if they're as effective as Luis Gonzalez yeah. is and uh, they're actually saving your bullpen. You're not actually getting somebody up behind the position player, which is why in theory, like you'd probably start this game a little bit earlier, the game of bringing position players in a little bit earlier, but I think that would um, kind of drastically change the course of baseball games. And so I think for that reason, it's gonna, people are gonna be, um, there's gonna be some trepidation still for a little while. You guys have done it at times because you've been up big, you've done it because you've been down big, which is kind of the story of the first half a little bit. And I, I asked you a couple weeks ago, if there's ever a, a, a tendency to try to mix it up, to not panic, but you know, show more urgency, and you're like, we gotta stick to what we do. You know the fan base watches this, and especially when they see what's happened a lot of the end of June and early July, they're like, you know, DFA people, fire people, get rid of people. For you, what would be your explanation of why it's so important to say even keel and um, you know, not get ejected from a game, not get okay. too out of it, which you've never done, by the way. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, well, since I've been in San Francisco, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, look, I, I don't, I think there are times to go off course just for kind of the energetic value in going off course. Um, I think one thing that I would say is oftentimes those, those types of moves tend to feel and come off as manufactured. So I think you have to be really careful about how you use them, whether that be making a huge lineup change like shaking up the lineup or whether that be getting thrown out of a baseball game um, or leaving a player in based on gut because like everybody thinks that that's the the decision that that should be made over the course of time I, I don't think that's the smartest way to play it but I'm but I'm always open to it so I mean think one perfect example of that is today's lineup you have Austin Slater in in the three hole against a right-hander that's just kind of based on a little bit of momentum. There's some math there, right? He's had fairly even splits this year. His walk percentage is the same as, as it is against lefties. Strikeout rate the same. Power production the same. So you can make a case mathematically that Slater should be in there today. But him hitting in the three-hole against uh, a righty on the mound, Gallon on the mound, it's a little bit unusual for us, but it feels like a bit of a momentum play. So we try to find the areas where we can adjust and where we can kind of ride ride the waves if you will but over the course of time i think it makes the most sense for us to stay measured it's the way our roster is built so it, it doesn't make sense to use a roster that was built for this in an entirely different way because we we believe over the course of the time it's not going to lead to wins for the giants your roster is also built around guys who are very even keel and very they're veterans guys who have been here before but you've talked a lot about energy this year and just at times it has been lacking yeah how do you fix that during a season and, and when this is your roster i mean it's not like you can call up six kids who are going to be flying around the field i think it's it's control what you can control number one so um, what we have the ability to control every single day is our our practice and our process that means our pregame work with machines on the field. It means our pregame work behind us right now um, in the cage because good energy begets good energy. So good preparation allows you to walk out on the field and feel confident about it. you've done everything in your power to succeed. You may not, but you can lay your head on the pillow confident knowing that you did everything you possibly could uh, to, to have success. So those are the types of things that I'm, I'm talking about when it comes to energy. Now, some of the, the ways 
that you can be chaotic with your energy and let it spill out and not have it in the most important moments is to be complaining about things that are outside of your control. Things like umpires, things like weather patterns, things like the, the field being too hard or too soft, which both sides have to contend with. So when I talk about conserving energy, that's really what I'm talking about. It, it is difficult though, you, you were a hitter, you know that if you get called out on you know, a pitch that you mm -hmm. felt was outside to not have that natural reaction and, and maybe bottle that up. I, I don't think that we should necessarily not have that reaction bottle it up. So I, I've definitely, as you mentioned, been in the batter's box and had a call go against me, been really ups, upset about it. I've also spent a lot of energy and time thinking about it, even going home and losing sleep over it at times. But that doesn't mean you don't try to direct that energy or to challenge yourself to be better. So one thing I think players do, this is not just our club, I think the Diamondbacks across the diamond right now, but teams all around the league, is they'll spend time between innings analyzing just how far off a call, call yeah. was from an umpire. We're, we're looking at the iPads, um, we're spending time thinking about it, and then we're talking about, it. wow, that ball was six inches outside. Yeah. It was in the other batter's box. And that sort of energy spreads throughout a clubhouse or throughout the dugout. So I think that can be a little bit contagious and it can come off, and I'm not calling anybody out, but generally these things can come off as a little bit whiny. Mm -hmm. And whining I don't think is a good thing yeah. in baseball. So we really need to stay focused on the task at hand. We had Farhan here, exact, exact same spot that you're in yesterday. And we asked, what gives him hope for the second half that this will turn? And he said, if we can clean up the defense a little bit, it's going to make it a lot easier for our starting pitchers who their expected numbers are much better than their actual numbers. It's going to make it a lot easier for a lineup that's having to come back a lot. It's the middle of the season. You don't have a spring training where you can go out there. And, and again, the roster is the roster. It's gotten a little bit better. But what do you see in the second half as the key to, to cleaning up defensively? Um, well, I think one action step that we can take is on a day like today when the margins are really thin between who plays and who doesn't. So um, so quick, real-time example. Jermaine Mercedes had a really nice game yesterday. Yeah. Swinging the bat really well. With uh, Gallon's reverse splits, you can make a really strong case that Jermaine should be in there. Now, I don't think it's any secret that first base, left field, um, behind the plate, Wherever you play your mean, it's all a little bit new, mm -hmm. right? He hasn't had a position that he's kind of settled into yet. That doesn't mean that he won't or that he's not capable of, of it, but we're, we're not quite there yet. So if you're making a decision be between, let's say, Yermin, Lamont Wade, Yaz, and like trying to configure your lineup, you say, okay, let's stick Yaz in right field because he's going to give us a good chance yeah. to go catch a baseball. Let's stick Slater in center. He's going to give us a good chance to go catch a baseball. Let's have Lamont Wade Jr. who has a little bit more experience, a little bit more fleet of foot at first base right now, and protect the pitching staff and protect this bullpen game that we, we have coming. So those are some of the action steps we can take on a day-to-day -day basis. I want to ask you about two huge positives for you in the first half. First, Carlos um, makes the all-star team, and, and we saw him you know, finishing with the four-ish. In San Diego, how difficult is it sometimes? And you've been very careful with the pitch counts. You've talked often about the injury history and keeping him healthy for the long run. How difficult is it sometimes when you see him throw 97, 98 in the sixth inning to go, this is what's best for Carlos. This is, you know, maybe not what's best for this game, but this is what's best for the season. It's a challenge, but again, we're, we're always playing the long game. And so even though, say, we pinch it for somebody, um, we take that player out of the game and we think maybe it's pretty even and we could leave him in the game. We see we want to buy some volume off their feet from time to time, not every time. With our starting pitchers, 
we can get another batter out of them or maybe even 10 more pitches but like do we really want to spend that 10 pitches there or can we kind of build that pitch those pitches up for the end of the season when they're going to be really really valuable um, we don't want to ever do it at, at the expense of, of losing a game but when it's close and we have a reliever that can come in and, and do the job I think we want to be cognizant of the overall workload and really bake that into the decision making equation and then Jock somebody you've known for a long time and, and you've talked about ways that things you've learned about him this season maybe in what ways does he surprise you as a as a teammate as a player of yours than, than what you might have known about him coming into this season um, he's way more thoughtful than he was when he was younger I think he really understands the way uh, the game works he understands game strategy very well uh, he is a pro in that like I think he wants to have a chance to, to face lefties and, and play every day but he's learned that that might not be be, be what's best for even him mm -hmm. right it, even leaving aside what's best for the team getting him off of his feet giving him a little bit of a blow uh, avoiding like the nastiest lefties in the league for him Man, like I think he really buys into that and gets that, and we're seeing the results of it. It's not to say that he wouldn't have great numbers if he was in there against Mantiply when he came into the game or starting against Julio Urias or whoever. I just think he understands that part of the reason he's collected the numbers that he's collected so far is that he's been, he's been put in a good position to succeed, and he appreciates and, and buys into that, and that goes a long way for a coaching staff and a manager. I just think he's way more mature than he ever was. Last one, and it's an important one. What are you going to do with your All-Star break? Uh, one possibility is going up to Vancouver to see my son Dane. Okay. I haven't seen him in a little bit. Uh, another possibility is going down to Los Angeles and seeing my mom. I haven't seen her in a little bit. But whatever I do, it will be more about seeing family than anything else. Do you take a break at all, or are you still thinking about baseball all the time? Probably a combination. Okay. Like, you know, e even something like um, coffee and, and just like reading whatever I want to read is is a break for me so I'll find my I'll find my time to just relax all right Gabe thank you for the time we'll talk to you in the second half thanks Alex let's jump into Peppa's world of play look for spring flowers hunt for muddy puddles and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.